everybody. You're kicking it with the homeboys and the homeboys podcast, where we talk everything in the world of real estate investing. Whether you're just getting started or a seasoned vet, we're going to give you our over 40 years of combined real estate experience to help you on your investing journey. Today, we've got a very controversial topic. We are talking about cash flow and why you should be concerned with too much cash flow. That's right. And we're also going to cover a couple of ways that people overlook that really are what makes real estate such an amazing investment. We're going to talk about how a tenant paying down your mortgage could be more important than cash flow and how appreciation could also be more important than cash flow. Now, everybody focuses on cash flow and we like cash flow, but like Clint said, there's some dangers. So we want to cover all of the ways that real estate really can benefit you. So we probably just lost about half of our audience with that. Everyone thinks, you know, I'm in this for the cash flow. What the heck are you talking about being concerned with too much, too much cash flow? But I, I want to encourage our listeners, don't tune out. There's a reason, and I think it's going to make a lot of sense after you hear what we have to have to say here. That's right. And we'll start with kind of the scare tactic, which we've learned the hard way, which is if you go after too much cash flow, if your only focus is on cash flow, you're most likely going to end up with bad properties in bad areas because cash flow on paper in bad areas and bad properties looks enticing, looks amazing. And if that's your only focus, it's going to put you in hot water. We talk about it all the time. It's different speaking engagements uh, on the podcast, um, just to our clients, that on paper returns. And what we mean by on paper returns is anybody could create a pro forma to make it look great. And you see it all the time where you'll find a property in a bad area. A, pro- a property that it's difficult to find a good quality tenant, but they can even put the market rate rent, you know, on this pro forma. And just with the market rate, you think, wow, that produces $500 a month cash flow. Whereas this other property that the homeboys, you know, think is great produces $200 a month cash flow. And in that, in that property where $500 a month cash flow is shown on that pro forma, you're not going to find a good quality tenant. You know, it's going to be a constant cycle of placing a tenant that's not going to take care of your property, evicting them or them abandoning the property altogether, fixing it up, and then the cycle goes on and on. The and cycle on of death. On. The cycle of death. And we, you know, it's, it's a rookie mistake that I would bet – Anyone that is in the long-term rental game, I bet 90% of people in the long-term rental game have made that mistake, including myself, including you. Probably not as many times as I did because I built an entire portfolio. You started stacking turds up immediately. Immediately. (laughs) Straight out of college. Yeah. Let, let's only focus on the ones with the highest I cash joke flow. about that, but I mean, it takes, you know, a lot of balls and a lot of uh, acumen to scale that quickly, you know, that fast. Yeah, you look backwards and say, well, it wasn't with the properties that I wanted, but I mean, there's a certain skill to doing, to doing that. So I don't want to just sound like I'm dogging you because, you know, I've done the same thing. No, I know. Uh, but, but not, not, not to that scale. But, uh, but well, yeah, you've a lot of properties. We have the both, we both have the same attitude. We go out and do stuff, we make stuff happen. And, and 
and yeah, I was, I was making stuff happen. I'm not, I have no shame about that. Yes. I was picking the wrong properties. Yes. I want to share that with folks so they don't make that same message. Yeah. About 90% of investors have probably made this mistake. I made it probably heavier than, than I bet I'm in the top 1% of, of people who have made this mistake as far as going so deep into this mistake. I know not to do this better than anyone because I had over a hundred of these turds that looked amazing on paper that I paid very little for, which looked like they had great cash flow that all ended up being in the cycle of death. All of them. I think it's important to to expand on you saying you paid very little for them because, you know, I happen to know, and you know, we have a lot of, uh, of young listeners, much younger than you and I, but they have a hard time believing whenever we got into real estate what some houses were going for. And then keep in mind, we're, we're going we're gonna to tell you how even at these numbers, the properties still did not work. But you were buying a lot of these properties for five, ten grand. Correct. I would say the average purchase price across them all was probably below 15000 That's the average. Right. I, don't, I don't know that I ever spent more than twenty five. I doubt I spent ever more than 25000 per house. And I want to paint a picture for our listeners. We are talking, we, we're in central Indiana, Indianapolis, uh, metro Indianapolis area. And, you know, just like a lot of major metropolitan areas, there are bad areas. You know, there are areas that you don't want to go to. And back in 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003, these neighborhoods were exceptionally decimated, exceptionally decimated. Mm-hmm. And these homes, you know, they could barely give them away. Right. Um, and keep in mind. And there I was raising my hand, give them to me. Correct. Correct. Well, I get it. You right. know, I mean, it's, you know, pe- uh, people listening to this are going to have a hard time believing that you were paying five, ten thousand $10,000, you know, you know, for, for a house. But, you know, keep in mind this was also an area, excuse me, a time period where houses were not selling. So forget about what's going on today where you list a house and an hour later it's gone. You know, this is the lead up um, to, the, to the Great Recession. There were certain homes that were, that were selling. These were not. Correct. Yeah, the bad area is that you couldn't really find buyers, even for a good home in, in, in those marginal areas even. There just wasn't a lot of movement on them. Um, even though mortgages were available a lot easier, there just was not a lot of sales in that area. But um, it's, it's really a hard thing to understand that those properties that I paid five to 10 to 15 grand for would lose money. And they do. And there's a lot of properties like that. There's this famous 1% rule people talk about. And what that means is your rent should be 1% of your purchase price, right? Well, the closer you are to that 1%, the more likely that that's just going to be an on paper return and not in reality. So you have to be really careful. Oh, it's tough to hit that 1% today. So, you know, like you said, you know, if you are getting that 1%, you know, right now, there's a great chance it may not be in the peel that onion back. So, so for our good properties, our new builds, we're looking at about a 0.07 for our versus 1% on the stuff that Clinton, I build. So, you know, that's one way to look at it. And those are great investments. And again, we're going to cover a couple of things, but the reason those are great investments is even at 0.07, meaning the rents are 0.07% of what it costs for us to build that property. 
it still makes a ton of cash flow. But more importantly, it also the tenant pays down the mortgage for us over, you know, a 20 year period and it appreciates over time. And these are good properties in good areas where appreciation actually happens. And so you you have to understand that the tenant paying down your mortgage and the appreciation will make you more money than cash flow, even in a high cash flow property. So people just, they focus sometimes too much on that cash flow when those other factors are more important. And we see people talk about this cash flow so much that we get worried at, at what, where they're going to end up because that's the, the only number they look mm-hmm. at, or it's the main number that they look at. You and I don't look at this number at all personally. When we evaluate properties, we don't even look at cash flow. We genuinely do not even look at it. That part doesn't matter. We believe in good assets with, sure, po- as long as the cash flow is positive, it, it's going to check that box for us. Then we move on to the next things we look at. Well, I think for me, the biggest thing that you know I want to look for is how hands-off is the investment going to be? You know, we're talking about some of our newer construction stuff or our brand new construction stuff. Um, you know, we, we've got, uh, you know, warranties even for us, um, you know, on these on these properties. And they're brand new. So you're putting brand new, you know, uh, HVAC systems, plumbing, you know, everything's, everything's brand spanking new. You know, whenever I first got into long-term investing um, down just north of Irvington here in Indianapolis, you know, pretty, pretty neat little area. Neat, for but, sure. uh, you know, it was a 1920s, 1910s, you know, house, um, like it did a pretty good renovation, you know, on it, but the maintenance was just never ending. You know, I don't care how good a renovation you do on a 1910s house. It's the maintenance is just going to c- continue to jump up and bite you. It just doesn't, it just doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. You know, when you talk about a, a cash flow killer, you know, that property that I'm talking about, you look it up if you want to, 728 North Bancroft. You know how crazy oh, I am I know with, the house. with, with, I, with membering addresses. Yes. But uh, 728 North Bancroft um, in Indianapolis, you know, the cash flow numbers that I was looking at and turning that into a long-term rental were giant. Is that the house where they put 1,000 pictures on the wall? No, it was two blocks away on on Wallace. On actually. Wallace? Yeah, okay, correct. so I was right down the yeah, street. Two, two blocks away. But... Uh, but, you know, I wish I had access to it. That's been so many years ago. But to actually provide a real-life example of this this property, because I think I bought it, I think I bought that for 25000 Yeah. Um, you know, a little nicer area than what we were talking about where, where, where you were at. But, you know, did a nice rehab, and it was a negative cash flow. Sure. Every single year I owned it. And the analysis that I ran, you know, whenever I was renovating it, it was going to be just absolute insane cash flow. Right. You know, I was putting $20,000 in it and renting it out for 1000 or $1,100. Yeah. You know, think of that. I, I you can't. You know, it's under under fifty grand. Right. Or let's just call it fifty grand to get $1,100 a month in, in rent. I mean, it was giant. Well, let's be honest. I was on- losing money. Of course you were. And, and let's be honest, this is the core tenant that, that built our turnkey company. We were seeing performers out there from people that were great on paper, but weren't real. And so you and I said, let's, let's start offering our clients properties that actually will be real. Sure. They won't look as good on paper as some of the stuff you see floating around out there for sale. And so we started offering individual single family homes that 
that have good cash flow, but not that top tier cash flow, but are real. And they had great, have great appreciation and they're in good areas. You know, there's so many aspects to them. And we built an entire, an entire company on this idea. And our clients have been rewarded by focusing on that. You know, we've had a few clients who step out. I was just thinking, I got a call about, I don't know, I think it was like nine months ago. And we used to get these calls all the time where a client was like, hey, I didn't tell you this, but I bought another house in Indianapolis from someone else. Um, they were managing it and it's in really bad shape. And you and I used to get these calls all the time. Mm -hmm. And I went out there, I looked at that property and there is no way we could make that property return for him. And he got, he got sucked into the idea of cash flow on a piece of paper that said that he was going to make, and I'll never forget this, $666 a month in cash flow on this turd of a property. Son of the beast. I mean, it's, it's, uh, right. it's pretty fitting, you know, for, for a property. I can only imagine, you know, what, what area it's in. You know, I, I get a little heated whenever we talk about this because, you know, you see a lot of, of people try to own businesses like ours. Let me preface this by, by saying there are plenty of people that run good businesses like ours across the country, you know, in different markets. Um, but there are 10 times... Uh, the number of companies out there that have no idea what they're doing and should never should never be in business. But, you know, they're playing in my sandbox. Whenever they're out flashing these giant cash flows and these giant returns and I'm selling our good quality product, you know, and they're out there saying, well, why would you buy, you know, from, from those guys or any anyone else for that matter with cash flow being that low and they suck people in and then it becomes a turd box, you know, a dog with fleas right. until they're able to unload it to the next sucker. You know, it's kind of like uh, uh, Henry uh, Marco Polis. Uh, I don't know if I'm saying the name right. He was the whistleblower to Bernie Madoff. You know, and he was a he was a. You investment. feel like you feel like the whistleblower. Well, no, he was an uh, a little bit, but he was an investment banker. And, but also he was a, uh, you know, a, this crazy math, mathematical genius, you know, and he was coming up with all of this statistical data to show that Bernie Madoff, you know, this is simply not possible, but yet he's playing in that same sandbox. And I've even saw an interview where he even said this, so I'm stealing this from Henry Marco Polos that Bernie Madoff is playing in my sandbox and he's making the rest of us look bad when he's out there ripping people off right. seven times. He sent a, uh, um, letters to the SEC right. telling them that this was this was bogus. What happens in our world, though? Um, you know, you know, it's not on that grandiose scale. You get these companies that are in business for for a month or a year, and then people are out giant money because they listen to this silliness on paper. Well, there's also a lot of really good providers out there who we definitely don't mind playing in the same sandbox with. For sure. When people are, are doing good properties in good areas, it's a neat community. We're actually pretty close with people all across the nation. And and if you're listening to this and, and you're, you don't know who to reach out to and you need help kind of vetting and you're looking at properties, reach out to the homeboyspodcast.com, fill out that little form and, and we can help guide you on, on some of that, uh, depending on who you're working with. Cause we know some really good people out there that we believe in. But, um, I, I, again, besides this being a rant session about the state of the industry that you have to be careful of, and it, we, us wanting to make sure that anyone listening to this plays very carefully 
if a property is showing high cash returns or sorry, high cash flow returns mm-hmm. on a monthly basis. And if you don't know what that means, we're just saying, say you can buy a house for 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 a hundred thousand and they're showing you rents. Uh, well, that's a bad, that's a good example of a hundred thousand and they're showing you rents of 1200. That's probably not real. That That's probably not. That's over 1%. You know, any, any, pro, you should peel back the onion heavy on that and see what's, what the story is. Why is it like that? Most of the cases you're going to see properties for sale at like 90,000 with rents of 900. And that those are dangerous because a lot of times those are in the heart of the worst areas and you will enter the cycle of death. But we also want to be positive here. We want to give you the good things, which is it's not all about cash flow. So you don't have to get caught up in the hype of cash flow. If you buy good properties in good areas, time does the work for you. The property does the work for you. It can be hands-off. Appreciation happens. Appreciation, we were just reviewing a property that we bought 15 years ago. It only had 4% appreciation. That's pretty small in this. I mean, that's fine for us, but that's pretty small based on what we're seeing in the market. So this property didn't appreciate very much, but we bought it 15 years ago for a hundred grand on the nose and we sold it for $183,000. That's only 4% appreciation. We made $80,000 and we only used 20 grand to buy that property. We put 20 grand down, got a mortgage for 80, let appreciation happen. And we made over 80 grand on appreciation alone on just the appreciation part. Plus the tenant paid down our mortgage. We ended up making between cash flow and appreciation and the tenant paying down our mortgage almost $250,000, just short of that. Mm-hmm. And that was in 15 years. It only took us 20 grand. And it was a boring house in a really good area with not the best cash flow, but it turned into a giant amount of money. If we put that 20 grand into one of these high cash flowing properties on paper, we would have gotten burned. Mm-hmm. So my point is on really good properties with medium cash flow you're still getting 15 to 20% annualized return on investment with a real world asset. So why are you chasing cash flow when the returns are so great on good properties in good areas? It's too dangerous. Don't do it. I'm going to completely switch gears here for a second. Airbnb is a very popular thing um, out there in the major metro areas, especially like some high tourism you know, areas like, you know, you and I both taking our families to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Nashville, you know, places like that. Airbnbs are very, very popular. And like I said, we have, we're blessed to have a lot of uh, much younger listeners. What of what, what would you say to the people that are saying, well, I'm seeing, you know, giant cash flows in the Airbnb game. Well, there are, however, there are giant risks with those giant flash uh, cash flows comes with giant risks. As you and I know, we've seen this happen in markets. A lot can happen. A, they can, the market can get saturated. The market can get too many Airbnbs where suddenly your occupancy can drop from 90% down to 10% overnight. We saw that in Palm Springs, California. Their occupancy went from almost 100% on Airbnb down to under 5% occupancy, under 5%. We also saw it outlawed in Madeira Beach, Florida. You and I saw that, 
where suddenly all these people who had these great cash flowing Airbnbs got wiped out. Suddenly there was condos on the market everywhere because there were just vacant Airbnb condos that could no longer be short-term rented. There's a lot of risks that come with it. Now, can it work? Absolutely. Do, do we believe in it? It's not our bread and butter. We believe in boring, cash-flowing, long-term rentals that are more uh, conservative and are more proven out over time. We understand why that Airbnb can be attractive. It's too risky for us. We're boring, conservative investors, and I think it's too risky. It scares the crap out of me. Um, you know, we, had, we had one, we had a few in um, Cape Coral, in Cape Coral, Fort Myers, you know, Beach, Florida area. And man, it was such a pain in the butt. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, the, the management is a lot more. I think people underestimate what the management of an Airbnb is. I mean, it's, 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 it's giant. I still have one, um, you know, basically, you know, it's in my family. My parents had a condo in Panama City. But that's yours now. And it's mine now. But, but you know, we have it rented out whenever we're not there. Right. You know, so it's on VRBO. And, and you know, we, we own it free and clear. Um it's amazing, you know, you think that you just, especially because it's a very highly demanded condo down there. Very much so. You know, you, you'd think that the cash flow would be giant, and it, it isn't. No. You know, I mean, we go down there on vacation, you know, I'm working, I'm putting in a floor, I'm painting, I'm always shopping for furniture. You know, it's very, very labor intense. Yeah, you can go after a bigger cash flow, but man, I don't have the time. I've got, I've got uh, young kids still to... The, the labor that goes into those is just so giant. You know, we've got a friend of the show, Michael Elefante. He was mm-hmm. on, he was on our, our show and I, I follow him on all of his social media. And, man, I do too. It's really fun. Like, yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's killing the basketball Airbnb courts game. in and he's putting like full service gyms in. I saw him at a poker. Like, he he built up stuff. a poker room in yeah. one of his Airbnbs where like, you know, 20 guys will be sitting around this poker table oh it's dope as i'll get he does cool stuff but i don't know it 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 still scares me because like i mean heck he's got to have a lot of money invested into those i mean i'm sure his occupancy has got to be relatively high because he's got to be pretty unique Mm -hmm. but you know i think that's a good point i think you and i know a couple of people are pretty successful at airbnbs we believe michael's successful at it and we also know somebody in bloomington indiana of all places who is who is very successful at it but both of them have spent millions and millions and millions doing that highest of high tier airbnbs you know, that that's pretty exclusive territory. I mean, your average investor isn't going to be able to afford. I mean, the furniture that these guys are putting in their places costs more than my personal house, probably. Right. You know, I mean. Well, I just think, you know, if you look back over time and, you know, everything is cyclical, including tourism. You know, uh, people have been spending money uh, like drunken sailors for the last for the last, you know, handful of years. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not going to continue. You know what? Tourism is the first thing that drops, you know, in a, in a downturn. I didn't know? even know that. Is that right? It huh. is. I should have known that. Because, I mean, think about it. You know, you just don't right. go on vacation. Of course. You, know, you just don't go on vacation. Makes so, sense. like, I don't know. You know, if you go through a bad market cycle, I think some of the, the high, even the higher end stuff is, is sure. susceptible. Like, we're, we're, we're talking about boring mm-hmm. in, um, you know, here in the Midwest. And, you know, there's always going to be a demand for someone to rent out a, 
you know, a three-bedroom, two-and-a-half-bath house in a nice neighborhood. Right. That you know? will always be there. Well, let, let me say one last thing about Airbnbs, and it's something that you taught me. And I think the, the, the time to have an Airbnb or a VRBO is for only for personal reasons. I think if you want to have a place that you vacation with your family, and this is something you really did taught, teach me and, and made me understand much better, is then buy it. You know, your life is about spending time with your family. Don't make memories. Make memories with your family. And so if you want a uh, a house that's a vacation home in Florida or anywhere, Gatlinburg, that you and your family can use, you know, 10 times a year, buy it. And then you can always Airbnb it when you're not there. To me, that's how Airbnb and VR bills make the most sense. Short-term rentals. It's if you want to live your dream and to make it a little more affordable, but at its core, it's about spending time with your family and having a vacation home for you and your family. Then that makes sense. But otherwise, I'm not interested. It is cool in that regard. I had a really close friend of mine, Charleston, hit me up. He just had a baby. And, you know, they were looking to, um, you know, go on their, you know, take their, their daughter on their first beach vacation. I was asking about the condo. So I'm like, yeah, man, you know, like. How cool is that to get to have one of your buddies you right. know, take his, his, his newborn daughter mm-hmm. to, to the beach for the first time in my condo? Well, but, heck, I was going to use your, your condo here coming up, but we have a couple of uh, property tours. We've got a lot of clients flying in in the next basically four weeks doing a couple of property tours and projects we're doing. We've got uh, some homeboys listeners coming in town that want to you know, go around and see our projects and buy some properties. And so much and fun. So I'll, wait, I'll skip man. Florida for that because for, for Clinton, well, I, there's always time for you, you know, to get, to, I know to get, to get I down know. there. You are family, but, yeah. uh, but yeah, you know, I, I, whenever we started talking about what we were going to, uh, our, our podcast topic for the week, I was a little, little concerned about what, uh, listeners would say. I hope, uh, I hope they've really heard this because this is something that, like I said, I believe 90 plus percent of, long-term rental property investors experience at one time. Yeah. And we didn't just, this wasn't just a cash flow is awful too. We also want you to understand that you have to pay attention to the other ways that you make money. So as much as we want to make sure that you don't get burned by buying something with giant cash flow, that's actually a turd in the ghetto. You also need to just pay attention to the fact that you're going to make more money than on the appreciation and the tenant paying down your mortgage than even the best cash flowing properties. That's only half cash flows less than half of where your profit comes from. So why put a hundred percent of your, your focus on something that's less than 50% of where you make your profit. It's just not the area to focus. You know, my biggest sales tactic was against these idiots that were out there selling these high, you know, cash flowing returns on paper. Tommy boy. Tommy boy, you got it. If you want me to, I was there for it. If you want me to take a dump in a box and mark it guaranteed, I will. But until then, why don't you buy a quality product from me? That's so true. <laughs> so true. It is true. You know, you're just buying a turd with fleas. Anyhow, well, that is our show for this week. We thank you for tuning in. We really appreciate the growth that we've been seeing out there amongst our podcast listeners and also on social media so make sure you check us out on tiktok at the homeboys podcast you can also find us on youtube where we've had over six and a half million views in the last week or so Mm -hmm. on youtube really grateful for everyone that's joining the homeboys revolution out there we just ask that you continue to join us we're going to give it to you real and not give you a bunch of crap Till next time, homies.
Happy investing. <laughs>